So good morning to you once again. It's seven thirty-two. The Hanoi summit it kicked off officially yesterday. I I think somewhere in the back of my mind was the fear that something was going to intervene and and prevent this from happening, either on the domestic front in the U.S. or something going wrong. It's just great, if nothing else, to see talks rather than tensions. No matter how optimistic or otherwise you may be about the outcome, let's、uh, get the sense from Dr. James Hoare, former UK ambassador to North Korea and historian specialising in Korean and Chinese studies. Good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning. Well, it's good evening here, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, honestly, after the last whirlwind twenty-four hours. I think many of us have lost track of the time.、Um, did, did, It could be any time. <laughs>、yeah. and, and Vietnam is two hours behind us. If anyone's curious about that,、um, because we, we、yeah. kind of have to wait as well to see what's going to happen later.、Uh, did, did you expect? Not quite as long as we. No, that's true.、Um, but sit, let's start by asking your expectations. Did you think it was even possible that we would have two U.S. North Korea summits in less than a year? These are pretty much eight months apart. Uh, no, just as I didn't think that there would be a whole series of South Korea, ROK, North Korea summits in the same period as well. The world has changed very fast in, in your part of、uh, in your part of it, and、uh, it, some surprising things have come up, including I... two U.S. summits. And you know, sometimes. It becomes a bit cliched to say what I said before, which is it's better to have talks than tensions. But what's happening in the last twenty-four hours between India and Pakistan, coming to the brink of war and actual combat, is a reminder that you know even in the twenty-first century, and with the memories of the horrors of of what's happened in the past, that that, that these things can happen. They can spiral out of control. Oh yes, I, I was in. I first visited Seoul in nineteen seventy-six. Three weeks after two American officers were killed at Panmunjom, I was there from 1981 to 1985, which included the blowing up of the cabinet in Rangoon during Chen Shui-hsien's visit. So yeah, this is this is an amazing development that things have moved so fast on the Korean Peninsula. But of course, doesn't mean to say the problems have been solved. No. And and perhaps we can reflect on that a little bit further in terms of your view, but just to put the last few months in further context from your point of view, you actually travelled to Pyongyang last autumn, around the time of that. Yeah,、uh, although it was nothing to do, it was nothing to do with summits or anything else. I was there for a conference.、Um, can you tell us more about that, though? Yes, of course. Curiously enough, the Kim Il Sung Medical University, which is part of Kim Il Sung University. Was celebrating 70 years, so they hosted a international an international conference on the theme of science and humanities, and、um, lots and lots of people were invited. It was a very big conference.、Uh, some people were very well received and fitted in very neatly. Others, including me and a colleague, were.、Um, Somehow, not really fitted in very well. But it was an interesting experience to go back to Pyongyang. I hadn't been there since 2011,、um, and it was striking that su- the noticeable changes. Now, you know, not earth-shattering, but Pyongyang is a different place, 
and I was only in Pyongyang this time. Pyongyang is a different place from what it was. People are more relaxed. Um, they're less uh, unwilling to engage with foreigners, not very profoundly in broad daylight, but they were willing to say hello and to talk a little bit in foreign languages, all of which was a new experience. So I was quite intrigued to see the place then. That, that is, I suppose, in a sense, mm. it does tie in with these improved relations between North and South and also probably with the sense that there is some improvement, some movement on U.S. DPRK relations. But um, well, the, the whole my visit was not actually directly related to that. But I did talk a little bit about it with people. I, I'm always interested in these kinds of insights, and, and I'm, I think it, they will be endlessly interesting as long as we have this um, unusual situation, should we say, of, of, of restricted travel and the, the uh, well, certainly restricted for South Koreans and, 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 and Americans, uh, but, but also just well, the, course, the bizarre nature of the situation. When I was in, was, when I was in Pyongyang, uh, resident there, opening the British Embassy back in 2001, 2002, there wasn't that gap. There were visiting Americans. I remember being at the airport and noticing this very tall, elderly gentleman with a very sharp hair and so on. And I got talking to him. He turned out to be an American um, colonel of Marines who'd been in North Korea during the Korean War and was leading a group of North Korean War vet, oh, sorry, Korean War veterans back to North Korea, which would now seem almost impossible. And every day that I was in Pyongyang during 2001 and 2002, there were thousands. Uh, one uh, South Korean official told me he thought there were seven or 8,000 people visiting North Korea from South Korea every day of the week at that point. This was really the height of engagement under Kim Dae-jung. And I, I remember being interviewed by KBS television in the shop in the Koryo Hotel because they realized I was a foreigner and they suddenly grabbed hold of me and said, will you talk to us? And I said, yes, I would. Um, but, of course, that all changed and now perhaps you, we might be getting back to the same sort of situation where there are strong links between North and South, which I think are really the ultimate key to the whole thing, that if the two careers get things right, then it will be easier for other people to get it right. If we're allowed to, that's the other thing. I mean, these restrictions are unnaturally enforced through um, partly the U.S. government's um, say. And we heard Chairman Kim tell U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, I'm a father and a husband and I have children. I don't want my children to carry the nuclear weapon on their back their whole life. Well, the U.S. is laying out the plan for denuclearization. Will Chairman Kim step through that door, uh, or, or, or can you see it being a problem this uh, day and future I, days? I can't see that you can just easily solve the problem of nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula. I mean, <coughs> the North Koreans feel that, understandably, that they are threatened by United States nuclear power either directly from, from rockets targeted in, in the United States or indirectly 
because of the nuclear umbrella that the United States extends to South Korea and Japan, which at the moment, as far as one knows, both of those countries, South Korea and Japan, want to continue. But any possible use of nuclear weapons has immense consequences for the rest of the world. And I, I think that while you might get the North Koreans back to the sort of situation we had in the 1990s, early part of 2000s, of a cap on their nuclear program, the idea that suddenly and quickly it's all going to be swept away seems to me highly unlikely. As I, when I talk to North Korean officials, either in Pyongyang or in London, which I do from time to time, they say, well, you know, would you, Britain, get rid of nuclear weapons? And I say, well, you know what my government says, we need them for security. And they say, well, we need them for security as well. So unless you can overcome that sort of situation, it's very hard to see that easy denuclearization is on the card. Right. Dr. James Hoare, former UK ambassador to North Korea, thank you so much for joining us today. What you say makes a lot of thank sense. Thank you. And I hope everything um, does go smoothly. But <laughs> you said, if they keep talking, it's a good thing. Right. At least that. Thank you again for, for taking the time to speak with us. And, I mean, of course, m- much of the world does not recognize North Korea as a nuclear power. But I mentioned before <coughs> this India-Pakistan um, situation as well. It, it's it's similar in in this respect that they also have the potential to spill out into a nuclear conflict. And, and I think uh, is, is a reminder to us at this time of the importance of dialogue and the importance of neighbours getting on well. And that really highlights what Dr. Hoare was saying there about the importance of the South-North Korea relationship. Um, again, we'd love to hear from you. Powder Sharp 1013 for 51 per message. For now, let's get to our news bite at 7.42 with Yana Shin.